0: Long Radio.
1: back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today, we are going to be spending the hour with a very special man, uh, an old friend, it happens, and colleague of mine, Gary Smith, and speaking about his latest work, his latest book, called The Mathematics of Sorrow. As those of you who listen to this show or to the TV show with any kind of regularity know that as a holistic psychotherapist uh, involved in energy healing of different sorts, vibrational medicine and the like, I've spent a fair amount of time looking over the sources of stress and of the emotional conflict behind illness. And that is why I invited Gary to be our guest today to talk about this very interesting relationship between energy, measurable energy, and our emotional lives. In other words, there is a physics, you could say, behind emotions, as there's a physics behind every movement on the planet and beyond, but we don't usually apply this kind of scientific thinking to the world of subjectivity such as that of our emotional lives, our mental lives, our psychological or even spiritual life for that matter. But yet there is an increasing interface taking place between mind, body and spirit, between science and spirituality, a relationship that actually has been there from time immemorial But for a number of reasons, a divorce ensued for, I would say, actually economic and political reasons when it came to the Roman Catholic Church separating itself out uh, back in the day from the science, for instance, of Galileo that they perceived as challenging their core belief system and felt threatened by it and therefore filed for divorce. However, it doesn't have to be looked at that way And today, scientists are making A wonderful inquiry into the nature Of our hearts, heart coherence In the work of HeartMath, for instance The HeartMath Institute The Institute for Noetic Sciences and the work of Dean Radin And other senior scientists there Are really embarking upon Understanding emotions from another level of depth You could say, including a scientific depth And it's very much because This is all being unearthed that Gary Smith's work Today is of such, I think, very Valuable relevance and resonance So I just want to uh, invite you to get comfortable and enjoy today's show Uh, you know that you can always uh, reach me through www.abetterworld.tv and I encourage you to tune in to our weekly radio show here on Blog Talk Radio as well as on Manhattan Cable TV every Tuesday night and all that information is available on the website and the sh- and the TV show can also be viewed online at that very site For those of you outside of Manhattan So a uh, word about uh, Gary and his background He is from Westport, Connecticut where he uh, grew up And that's where we met actually many, many moons ago And he graduated from Tufts University Then moved out to the West Coast to become a student of Adida Samraj, an American spiritual teacher originally from uh, Long Island, as it happens. In the 1980s, Gary began studying energy healing and met with a number of different shamans and healers. Over time, he began to integrate these various healing systems into his own unique perspective. He's worked with hundreds of people over the course of years, testing and improving both his diagnostic methods and his healing skills. Interestingly, this has led then to Gary uh, moving out into another realm of doing collective healing work while going to different specific geographical locations on the planet in which it happens that there have been wars, massive bloodshed, and other different kinds of trauma on particular pieces of land. And Gary has worked in very interesting ways, rather esoterically you could say, in Estonia, Lithuania, Italy, Germany, Hungary, Belarus, Russia, Romania, in the United States, Lebanon, Poland, the Slovak Republic, and Rwanda. So he has been around doing this very deep inner healing work and helping to clean up the grids on the planet by his doing. So it's really a fascinating subject. And one, which we can all benefit from knowing more about so Gary are you on the line yes I am welcome to a better world my dear friends. thank you absolutely. absolutely
0: now we did a TV
1: show when you were in New York relatively recently and now we're moving right on into uh, this other realm of radio so it's really a pleasure to have you on Uh, I'd love to go back to your book and um, just take a look. It's just wonderful the way you brought together mathematics and essentially physics to this world of emotions that uh, very few people even think to connect. Um, Could you just begin speaking, if you would, a little bit about the logic behind this and the value as well?
2: Great, Mitchell. You know, I had a wonderful time in New York, and and I loved being on the TV show, and I felt like we really needed more time to discuss this. Yes, we
1: really did. Yeah. which is also why I really to... wanted to set aside the time for you here. Yeah. Thank you Be for fun.
2: your wonderful uh, blog and your TV and your radio work and the fact that you're always reminding people about a better world and how much I appreciate the positive energy you constantly bring to your friends, and to the planet. So thank you very much.
1: Oh, you're so welcome, Gary. Thank <laughs> you for your kind words. <laughs> All too often it goes unrecognized, so it's good especially <laughs> from an old and, and dear friend as yourself to many, many decades later recognize, uh, as I I do with you, the um, the value that we're bringing with our lives and our life energy to to the table at this point in time for creating a better world in our own respective ways. So thank well, you. Well, you know, Mitchell, when I was in Westport uh a week or so ago,
2: I I felt very grateful for the privileged childhood I had and, and yeah. it reminded me how much I wanted to give back to people cuz I was yeah. much especially as a as a child and and a teenager Yes. And so yes. I focused on this, this issue of mathematics of sorrow for a number of reasons. Partially it's to help individuals who are struggling with the dare I say it crude and simplistic uh diagnoses and treatments that are offered today in our society. Yes. There's also a kind of a greater healing that's needed, which is to work on the paradigm itself. And sometimes if something is just not working. You have actually have to go back and retool the paradigm. Maybe the, the failure of something doesn't mean we need to research more, but we need to chuck out the paradigm. Yes. You, sort of, you take a, a left turn off a highway. Then you can't find the McDonald's. Maybe you got to get back on the highway again to see if you got off on the right exit. So, yes. bottom line is that the paradigm is that we're existing under now is kind of crude, and it's interesting because in the Middle Ages we had a certain superstitious religious paradigm, the priesthood in Western Europe. Uh, they had their own arcane language, they were literate, the peasants were not, they sort of held the the knowledge, and science slowly came in and, and uprooted it. Well, now, several centuries later, scientists themselves are the priesthood. Yes. Scientists themselves have their own weird language, nobody understands. And when you challenge them, they say, Well, you don't get it. We have our own language and until you're one of us, you'll never understand. So it's just interesting to see how science and scientists is becoming medieval. And it, <laughs> yeah. it needs to yeah. be shifted. And part of what it's a very it good needs, point. And
1: part of how In it needs to fact, Yep, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of um, a supervisor of mine when I was in graduate school at a psychiatric uh, institute I was working at as an intern uh, up in near Wesleyan University, in fact, in Middletown, uh, Connecticut at Elmcrest Psychiatric Institute, and my supervisor said, The main difference between us and them, Mitchell, is we have a language to talk about them in a way that they don't have quite the same about us. Our language is slightly esoteric and they want to reach in and grab it. But when they realize what we're up to, they will see that the entire process of therapy, by and large, is a process of leaving the therapist very interesting I couldn't agree more yeah uh, yeah what I'm thinking so you when well, you're I want to just clarify for our audience when you refer to a paradigm you're really referring to the psychiatric paradigm which suggests that any degree of sorrow that people have is actually treatable as a disease and would would warrant, according to general psychiatric understanding, the administration of some kind of medication, such as an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety <clears throat> medication, which not only do not have scientific basis or efficacy, they've been outstripped by tests uh, using placebo, but it's missing a core spiritual and existential reality that I feel you spell out rather profoundly in your book that sorrow is a very real substantive part of our human lives and deserves the respect, if not the actual exaltation of its place in human experience. Could you speak to that?
2: Yeah, you know we covered a lot of material here, but I, I mentioned um, well, I mentioned a joke in the book about um, two golfers are golfing, and uh, and one guy's about to tee off, and and a hearse and drives by, and and a bunch of cars, and and the golfer takes his hat off, and 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 sort of salute the hearse and all that. I think I know
0: this joke,
2: life. yes. And then um the other golfer goes, I'm really impressed. That was that was really something. And the golfer goes, Well yeah, we were married twenty seven years. So the the bottom line here is, you know, that's a joke.
0: Oh my yes.
2: but, you know I mean after <laughs> all, we were married for twenty 20- seven for
0: twenty seven years. Right? Oh my word. Yes. So it's it, the least I could do, right? Least I could do it was drop
2: my golf game for a little bit while the person yeah. rolls by. Yeah. But um what that's really pointing to is that there's a few things here. There's the paradigm of psychiatry and psychology, which is resting on the greater scientific materialist paradigm that there's only a third dimension. Yes. And and the, thing, the joke about the golfer is that, you know, the golfer is like, okay, well, you know, she's dead. We move on. I'm going to go play golf now. Well, sorrow, the gift of sorrow is that it reminds us, it calls us to something greater than the third dimension. Mm-hmm. Just not meat and blood and and we're dead and we're dead and... We live, we die, we merrily go on. Sorrow calls us to something found, something greater. And in that sense, it's, it's. I mentioned the word, the allure of sorrow. Some people know that there's something deep and profound there, but they get lost in its allure. There's, there can be no end to it. You know, it's like the people get involved in the S and M world there's no end to it it just goes down and down and down and it's just it's just a infinite abyss
1: so so you're saying there's a certain I, I an identity that that develops in relation to that particular emotion yes because you
2: know sometimes the world seems so plastic and superficial yeah sorrow seems profound yes. and it, it is It is.
1: So in a sense, it gives people an experience, an an emotional experience. of uh, Our culture is so rooted in the head, as we know. And even though, very oddly, most people are deeply emotional, really, um, or actually more superficially emotional, but to have an experience of sorrow, almost busts open their hearts in a way and gives them an emotional experience that they may not have had in a long long time
2: exactly exactly yeah so one of the things i wanted to point out again is there's this third dimensional paradigm in our western materialistic society but then there's the psychiatric psychological paradigm and i need to comment on this for a minute uh in my book i mentioned something about Topology. Topology is an advanced mathematics in which it's the mathematics of shapes and forms. It's usually graduate school mathematics. It's very, very complicated. But in the is it like the, an advance on geometry? Yeah, it's you know you read three pages of an introduction to topology and and, and you know, it takes two hours to read three pages book and even then you don't understand it. But a core theory in topology is that a a subset within a larger, like a sphere within a larger sphere is a subset of the sphere. Yeah. So imagine like a big sphere and then inside that is a smaller sphere. Well, under the theories of topology, that smaller sphere is a subset of the larger sphere. Mm Mm-hmm. From that, all kinds of topological theorems and exercises can occur. This makes complete sense, but we, we need to understand that mathematics actually has cultural implications because the cultural implication, oddly enough, applies to psychology and psychiatry. For example, according to our present paradigm, the head... Is third dimensional, and within the head is the mind, the conscious mind, according to the materialistic viewpoint.
1: Conventional thinking,
2: yes. So, if the mind is within the head, and a that's a subset of the head, then the mind must also be third dimensional.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We just can't prove it yet, but because of our way we're looking at it it follows that. Therefore, this is the mathematical logic and cultural logic that cure should come from pharmaceuticals because pharmaceuticals are third dimensional as well. Exactly. Now, this would be cool if it worked but it's (laughs) an absolute catastrophe except for the pharmaceutical companies that are making billions and billions of dollars. Now, I don't mind if companies make billions and billions of dollars, but they're not doing their real job, which is to heal. So the whole thing about the paradigm, is super important. So let's imagine another situation. Let's imagine there's a third-grade class. There's 20 students in a third grade class. They're in a classroom. Now, there's a ninth grader sitting in the class with all the third graders. Now, from a third dimensional point of view, all the students are a subset of the larger space. They're within the class. But the real question is, is the ninth grader a subset of the third graders? It's sitting with them. Clearly not. The ninth grader has a consciousness and in maturity that the third graders do not have. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of pointing to this, that something can be within something, but not be a subset of it.
0: Now, okay. of course,
2: anybody who's done psychedelics or shamanic drugs or peyote, ayahuasca, LSD, clearly knows the mind is not contained within the head. Mhm. Also have a thousand reminders when you think of somebody you love and they call you suddenly from 2000 miles away. Yes. It just happened a few days ago I was thinking about a close friend of mine who's up in Idaho. How's this guy doing? I wonder what's happening with him. He called me in 10 seconds.
0: Mhm.
2: Yes.
1: But this is Oh, it happens all the time. And people can even do different forms of body work and get in touch with a body consciousness, and they know that their mind is not somehow just geographically located in their skull, but it's distributed throughout the body. And we also know that we have neuroreceptors in our heart and literally in our colon and our gut. And that's, of course, what leads to our being right when we say, I have a gut feeling. You know, exactly. I have a gut take on this, you know.
2: But See, like even now, I believe with the American Psychiatric Association, they're trying to classify every type of depression as a mental illness. Yes. Which is yes. just an insult. You know, you oh, have somebody course. who has suffered a great deal, and you tell them, you're mentally ill. We're going to give you far more. I mean,
1: the, the, the DSM-4 and 5 is its own show, you know, and uh, the inherent illness, if you will, in its formulation and paradigm is itself uh, truly controversial and should be seriously. Overturned. That's all of conversation. What I would really like to focus our attention on, Gary, here, is some beautiful work that you do in this book, which is the interface of mathematics and physics with the emotions. And you have come up with an entire way of um, mapping out our emotions according to a number, according to intensity, and according to amplitude. Can you speak a little bit about that and its usefulness?
2: Sure. In this book, I talk about what I call the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh dimensions or dimensional spectrums. These actually relate to specific parts of the brain. And I give a number system relating to four, five, six, and seven, where the first number has to do with the spectrum or dimension itself. The second number has to do with the amplitude or how loud it is. And the third number has to do with its intensity or profundity. So mm-hmm. I've used numbers like minus four four four, minus four five six, minus six two three. All these numbers actually are not only numbers, but they're actually vibrational patterns that match An emotion So for example This oft quoted 666 Is the mark Mm -hmm. of the Well it's a little uh, Simplistic But 666 Actually there's a minus 666 And a plus 666 Minus 666 Actually relates to an emotion Relates to part of the pain Itself,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and but there's a plus six six six, and the plus six 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 is its opposite, and so uh, the fact that you can actually put a number onto an emotion gives you all kinds of ways to begin to find ways to heal, help, balance. You can also know whether certain things that you take have any use whatsoever. So, are you there? Oh, yes. So, for example, what I call the sixth dimension has to do with collective sorrow. Well, virtually no pharmaceuticals or herbs vibrate on that level whatsoever. Therefore, nothing <clears throat> that you virtually will ever resolve it. Well, this is really yes. important if that's the, the depression that you're suffering, to know that uh, Prozac or St. John's Ward or whatever can't even come close to what the vibrational level it is where that sorrow is yeah. aimed in. This is phenomenally right. useful and practical information, I think, so well,
0: it uh, i i
2: agree with you because it it, it, out,
1: every day. it outlines the uh the um nature of the vibratory character uh which is measurable of a given state of mind or feeling or body for that matter and i i work with this all the time with my work in biofeedback as i have mentioned to you before <laughs> where it's essentially a vibratory approach, so you can deal with whatever the emotion may be on the level on which it is occurring, and as you were suggesting, balance it out. You know, for instance, you're if this is reminding me of the fact that in Chinese medicine, uh, we speak about having a several different kinds of headaches. One kind of headache is related specifically to the liver. Another right. one is more gallbladder related. Another one could be more heart related or stomach related and you won't know what points to use of acupuncture or what herbs to use unless you know the nature of the headache. In the United States in western medicine, they speak about either a standard headache or a migraine. That's about as you know you talked about crude, that's crude. You know it's not like a hundred different kinds of snowflake for the Eskimo it's right. you know it's one or the other, you know, and you would think that over time Western medicine would become a little bit more refined in its understanding of causality as as well as treatment, but it's not the case so You don't have to make any excuse on this show about going into the vibratory realm because that's where we live, man. It's perfectly fine. Let's let everybody know that uh, you are listening to A Better World. On Blog Talk Radio. We are on the air every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and uh, pretty soon we're looking to expand into a couple of other nights per week to deal with specific subject matter. And um, you can get onto our newsletter if you are not already or if you want to sign up another email address, at www.abetterworld.tv. We are spending the hour speaking with Gary Smith, who is both the most interesting combination of energy healer, spiritual seeker, and financial consultant and MBA. So, oh Gary, you have combined the elements here in a most interesting esoteric way, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's let's go back into the value of identifying a vibratory rate for a given uh, degree in this case of sorrow. Of course, that applies to any emotion. And how you can work with it, n- identifying the dimension, you could say, its intensity and its amplitude.
2: Let's get back to this example of what I call the minus six sadness, which is the collective sadness. Sure. Now, you know, in my book, I describe the difference between these. And I want people to know that it's not just sort of theoretical, but it actually specifically relates to part of the brain. Yes. And there are actually meditations and things you can do to actually access these particular parts of the brain to work with it, and also there are medit- there's meditation techniques and shamanic and religious and spiritual techniques that actually vibrate these specific parts of the brain. So, for example, with the with the minus six sorrow, it's a sorrow about the collective. You're not sad about yourself. You're not sad about Mom or Dad, you're
1: sad that you're alienated from the world there's alien or there's or there's an event in the world that struck sorrow in your heart, such as something like the Holocaust or Rwanda or what happened in Yugoslavia or what happened to the Armenians or 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 so many examples of collective sorrow would that would that fit the bill
2: right now that Handled differently than being a neurotic, which is so you know famously parodied by Woody Allen. Woody yeah. Allen plays, I'm a neurotic. Well, that's a different yes. type of vibrational frequency and need than dealing with collective sorrow, and there's a different mathematics to it. Understood. This is what's important for people to understand. That's a very
1: and, interesting distinction.
2: Yeah. Because society thinks, well, you're depressed people don't say depressed about what like, what exactly are you depressed about Yeah, take a well, I'm look depressed that you know there's fifth extinction going on right now well that's yes. a, that's different than i'm depressed because i'm a loser or i can't get a date sure Sure. Number there's a different vibration there's a different way to balance it out
1: or I, I just lost a thousand dollars in a Las Vegas casino you know right those are very self oriented almost you could say a narcissistic e- certainly egoic sorrow exactly and then it expands outward very clearly so I also I often have a heavy heart. When I contemplate what we have done to our precious Mother Earth, for instance, I honestly, I don't think a day goes by where I do not have that feeling. And then I also offer myself and the planet a remedy for it by sending energy to the planet directly as well as to human beings who are making decisions that continue to jeopardize her. Is that an example? No, it's absolutely, it's absolutely correct.
2: You know, yeah. what's good for Woody Allen, which might be going to the gym, not drinking five cups of coffee a day, eating better, which might yeah. help personal neurosis, doing those things isn't going to dent the feeling of collective sorrow you may have about, you know, yeah. a large tragedy. They're exactly. Two, they're two different things. And it's a different very
1: important species, if you will. Yeah.
2: For people who are dealing with depression, to, to this is why I'm trying to give some more clarity here, that they understand there is a difference. There's yes. a very specific difference. The traditional treatment doesn't acknowledge it. They need to be handled differently, and this is when we get into the exciting world of how does shamanic religious or spiritual healing occur? And what I'm proposing in my book is that there are certain types of depression that are so weighty, it's impossible for an individual to heal them themselves. Mm -hmm. This really goes against our kind of John Wayne heroic, I can do it myself culture. Yes. Uh You know, when you go to Auschwitz concentration camp, which I recommend everybody go to a concentration camp and feel it,
0: mm. you're dealing with
2: the tragedy of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or a million. Yes. You actually felt it. You can't, no ego can stand there and go, well, oh, I can handle the, the suffering of a million people. Sure, you can't do sure. that
1: you You describe very poignantly in your book, Gary uh the sounds the screams that you heard emanating from the walls of auschwitz i I too know people who have gone there for journeys themselves, and I've heard similar kinds of um you know reports it's Harrowing, and uh you contrast it with a a family who were just trivially chatting about one thing or another nearby, and you were uh you know close to outrage that they could not hear and be sensitive enough to tune in to what was really going on vibrationally in this place. It was very touching by the way, <sighs> yeah, Gary. Hello? Did uh, we lose you, Gary? I hope not. It. Oh, my. It looks like we did. Okay, he didn't hear those last words of mine. So I will hope that he calls us back so we can carry on this, uh, this dialogue. And uh, as you know, you are listening to Gary Smith, the author of The Mathematics of Sorrow, and we're going into curious. We're going into some depth about the nature, the vibratory rate of emotions of sorrow in particular. Gary, you're back. You I'm back. We had a we had a little technical problem here, but I'm back. Okay, excellent. So what I, I would like you did reference this, and I would like to get more uh, clarity about this. You mentioned that. Each dimension relates corresponds to a different part of the brain. Could you say more exactly. about that and give us a few examples? Sure. So, if you take the
2: upper rear part of the head, the upper rear part of the head. Yeah. That that inch or two of space
1: that around the visual
2: cortex. The- well, I'm looking at the back of the head. You can put your if you put the hand your hand on the back of the head okay. below below the posterior fontanelle. The fontanelle is the soft part of the baby's head. Yes. If you put your two fingers yes. below that, that's uh huh what I'm calling the fourth dimension, the fourth dimensional spectrum. Mm hmm. And on the left side it's yin or feminine, and the right side it's masculine. Yes. If you put your two fingers where the fontanelle is, that's the fifth dimensional space. Mm. Except here the polarities reverse: the feminines on the right side, and the masculines on the left. So the fontanelle uh-huh. has like two soft places you can put two fingers in. Yeah. Feel that. Well, the one on the right triggers; it's the feminine, and the one on the left is masculine. Mm-hmm. Two fingers up beyond that is the sixth; a finger beyond that is the seventh. So
1: those are actually brain. Now, did you did you map this out yourself, or did you see this mapped out elsewhere?
2: This came through one of my uh,
1: shaman teachers,
2: and yes. it's from it's from one of the Native American Indian tribes. I see. Um, and in their tradition, they would teach, uh, in their medical tradition, the medicine man had a 17-year training. Yes. And some of these secrets would be taught to one person on the medicine man's deathbed,
0: this this
2: knowledge. I'm not at liberty at this point to say which tribe it is, Sure, but this comes from the American Indian, one American Indian esoteric tradition. Now, I began to integrate that with what I understood about esoteric Hindu anatomy and also Mm -hmm. Western psychology. Yes, because there are colors associated with these things. And then I began to see that they have different vibrational frequencies and different different functions. So, for yes. example, acupuncture is primarily a fourth-dimensional method. Mm-hmm. Fifth-dimensional stuff... Uh, is actually the world of psychedelics. And you know, marijuana, ayahuasca, peyote, yes. LSD, sacred medicine,
1: plant medicine. medicine. Yeah. They're all and, and really medicine. commonly known as entheogens. Yeah. They're they're working on that level. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: very very few things vibrate on the sixth or seventh dimensional level. I
1: mm-hmm.
2: I Work with hundreds and hundreds of things, hardly anything does, but a few but a few do so there are, there are frequencies that can be measured, and uh, this is work that will probably be developed in the next you know decades to come there may mm-hmm. be some there may be some crystal technology involved in this yes uh, but one thing I wanted to point out is this Common understanding That the feminine brain Is on the right side Mm -hmm. Right Well I think a distinction That that's not completely true That's only true On the higher brain On the top of the head On the right right side of the top of the head That's feminine
1: But the right
2: side of the back of the head That's masculine I see and if you begin to work with those through meditation and practice, you'll
1: see that, that that's absolutely true. So what I'd like to actually get from you here is the part of the new paradigm is not simply uh how do we treat um let's call it a disturbing emotion, that if it's ongoing, like sorrow would be, but rather how to relate to emotions, especially what we refer to as negative emotions, in a way that's most holistic, that's most real, and most let's say spiritually advancing. One of the things I noted uh, in the, as the the uh, subheading of your book is a heart based model that turns sorrow into a gift. Could you speak about the questions I just asked and this you know, Mitchell, thank
2: you for for nailing the hammer on the head that's That's the best question of all. I met a scientist about a month ago uh, and he was he was arguing to me that his heart is a pump nothing more. Mm -hmm. It's actually very sad talking to this gentleman. My heart is a pump. That's it. And that sense itself is very sad. You see, one of the things I point out in our paradigm here is that in the West, we consider sanity having to do with the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. And I point out that the new paradigm has to be it has to do with the heart. The new yes. paradigm is based on the heart. How many murderers and mass murderers seem to be very clear thinkers, very clear and rational thinkers? Mm-hmm. Are those people sane just because they seem to be clear and yes. talking and rational? You know, clearly not. Men- mentally coherent,
1: yeah.
2: And You know, what is a psychopath? You can have a psychopath who's brilliant and clear, but on a heart level, it's a disaster. That's right. The real shift, this might take hundreds of years, the real shift is that sanity is not really based on the clear, conscious, rational mind,
0: but it's based
2: on love. Yeah. You know, every scientist will go jumping up and down and saying that that's horseshit and blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> all the women and women therapists
1: you know, know it's true. There's just not a sure. language for it yet. And the indigenous people of all over the planet know it to be true as well. Yeah. Our, you know, our materialistic,
2: mind-oriented culture just happens to be on top right now.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah. temporary, it's a a, a little uh, moment in time, but for <laughs> thousands of years, it was always understood by the Chinese, the Tibetans, the uh, Indians, the Siberians, <laughs> on and on, the Africans, on and on, that thinking takes place in the heart. And as I mentioned, I believe in our TV show, that the word heart-mind is the only word the Chinese have for mind they don't have a separate word as such but heart mind which can either be described as e, or Shen even more clearly which means spirit and the spirit resides in the heart so I'm just saying that to kind of a buttress what you're saying
2: well again I'm a practical person If I could pop a pill and it heals everything, great. It doesn't. Uh, Yeah. Something crazy. I think I mentioned this on the TV show. What, 167 million prescriptions for antidepressants were issued in America in 2008. Oh my! That's just so shocking.
1: I can barely contain myself. It's scary. Yeah. It's all propaganda programming. Advertising and different levels of coercion. (laughs) So sorrow, depression,
2: it's not a mental thing first. It's a heart thing first. Right. Mental later. Depression is actually a depression in the field around the heart chakra. That's why they call it depression. Yeah. You could actually draw it out and see it. If you were yeah. clairvoyant, which a lot of people are, but
0: mm-hmm. actually a
2: really depressed person, their their chest looks concave sometimes, right? Yeah. You just, the sh- is a slump. He's a schlump. He's a schlump. contracted, contracted. Yeah. So what's the real healing is heart
0: energy. Is yes.
2: Love, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Now, it's
2: hard to sell love, hard to make a billion dollars selling love, but that's ultimately, you know, what it's about and where it's going. So if we're dealing with this collective sorrow,
0: mm-hmm. if
2: dealing with this great pain, well, you need a love that deals with collective stuff. Yes. If you're Sad because your best friend died, or your mate just died, or your father died. That's a different kind of sorrow. Yeah. Than collective. What kind of love loves a grieving widow? You know. So this yeah. is when we enter the unscientific world of of spirituality. But there is a kind of Science there too Indeed You know and what is the difference Between What Krishna does Versus Mother Mary Mm -hmm. Black Kali Versus Green Tara Or Jesus Mm -hmm. Versus the white Mother Tara Well on a more sophisticated level they hold different frequencies. Now, they may be holding the highest divine frequency, but on another lower level, they're holding a different thing. You see, so there's a great wisdom. uh, There's a vibrational knowledge that's essentially lost. It's
1: it's time for it to become more popularized. Yes, indeed. Oh, I I am in... (laughs) of course, a wholehearted agreement with you, and uh, this conversation uh, brings me around, Gary, to looking at the subject of the archetypal nature of individuals, of a collective, and of an emotion. And sorrow happens to be one of those emotions that binds people together. Remember what it was like to live in this country, let alone in New York City, at the time of 9-11 and the crashing into the towers of these airplanes. New York City, the entire planet, went through a certain metamorphosis on behalf, you could say, of the residents of New York City in particular, and the residents of the United States at large. And it was very unifying as a field. And you could feel into it walking down the streets of New York for a year after this happened. It was as though we had one heart, which is, of course, the esoteric teaching of one heart, one mind. And it was palpable even to a material secular scientist, I will dare say, because right. there are experiences that are human, that are far beyond, as you are indicating and spell out well in the first chapters of your book, go far beyond the materialist, secularist perspective, and right. uh, it's just a, a so human instinctive domain, so I see that your contemplation of sorrow as the subject of your book has powerful ramifications for our own spiritual development. Not just for a healing, i.e. a numeric value of a six being balanced out by a six on the opposite side of the spectrum and coming to zero. That's beautiful and that needs to happen also. Just the actual experience of sorrow as opening the heart, and I'm actually reminded of the words of uh, Chuyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who when he put together Shambhala training out of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, talked about the bitter sweetness of life and of actually living with a broken heart as a space of wisdom.
2: Yeah, people think they have a broken heart. They need to get over it.
1: Exactly.
2: But actually, the broken heart makes a person more conscious. Doesn't it? It widens their mind. It makes them more sensitive. More compassionate. More sympathetic.
0: That's correct.
2: But why would you want to get over that?
1: Right, exactly. Exactly. That's why you know, he said what he did. It was actually it was actually one of his meditation practices that you contemplate and stay deeply in touch with your soft, vulnerable, broken heart. You know, when you And it can be broken for personal reasons or it can be broken for global reasons, you know? But it's broken.
2: You see pictures of Jesus with a flaming heart, right? Open heart Yes. You're not seeing pictures of Jesus with, like, you know, a golden
1: head. Right. Although they did have auras in the early paintings, you know. Yeah, but in the esoteric Christian
2: teachings, they're not glorifying Jesus' brain.
1: No, right.
2: (laughs) You know, You know, Leonard Cohen wrote a song called Everybody Knows. Uh Uh-huh. And it's the same kind of thing with with this.
1: Everybody yes. knows. Everybody knows, right? The,
2: the paradigm just hasn't quite caught up with it yet, and there's but there's also vast commercial interests against it. Yes, against
1: the truth.
2: Yeah, and you know, it meant well and it's got a purpose, but you know, the paradigm's slowly going to erode away, and we're looking. What, what you and I are talking about, Mitchell, and we know this, is something that's going to take generations to embrace. Yes, yes. You know, you're 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 part a, of our DNA again. You're a lonely voice in the wilderness, out there in Manhattan, calling for a better world. You know, yeah. a candle in a dark room, doing your thing, but slowly, yeah. more and more candles will be lit, you know, and the yeah. room will be illuminated.
1: Correct. Correct, and, Gary.
2: Uh, you know, again, you and I had beautiful place to grow up, and we've got a lot to give, and we're doing it in our own way. Correct. But I want people to know that uh, sorrow can be a, a wonderful gift in, in to growing and to learning yes. a little more than what the culture sort of sells you on its cheapest level.
1: Beautifully put. And it's just so true. Rather than be an experience that we uh, seek to, as you said, get over and complete and be done with, uh, it's something to actually be maintain a relationship with. It doesn't mean and and distinctions need to be made. It doesn't mean to be somber, it doesn't mean to be morbid. There can actually be some humor, maybe slightly black humor or dark humor, but there is even humor in it, like the joke that you opened up with about the golfer while his wife, you know, went by to hers, you know. Um I'm not there's sure I would, I would consider it the richest humor, but nonetheless, there's an entire place for humanity to find itself in the sorrow and the grieving process. Right. It's very humanizing, is what I what I hear you saying, and I agree with you completely. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Share with us, that we only have another moment or two. What? last words would you like to share with our audience, Gary, about your work and what your insights are so rich, cultivated over the course of decades in your deep spiritual work both on the West Coast as well as across the planet? I think it's important
2: that people come come together and trust their intuition. This is mm. not a time for individuals to be going to caves and being enlightened in the wilderness. This is for t- people to. This is time for people to get together. People need to get in groups, use group energy, um, be vulnerable to one another, be empowered by their groups, their friends, um, and and be yeah. honest. You know this. Yeah. Is, I think be honest, be authentic. Be authentic within groups. Yeah. You know, whether it's smaller circles or larger circles. Yeah. Uh, you know, the old. And, and groups that are mixed groups, you know, men and women. Yes. It's not a matter yes. of some ornery old guy lecturing exactly how we're supposed to do. You know, it's,
0: we are moving in some <laughs> kind
2: of didactic
1: methodology.
0: Right.
1: Right, exactly. And it happens, your words are prescient, because we're heading into the age of Aquarius, which is group consciousness. It's about the collective, not right. so much emphasis on the individual. Well, right. Gary, I so appreciate all of your good work, both uh, from your mind and especially your heart and the way you've penned it in this book, The Mathematics of Sorrow. And... uh when will it be available?
2: Well, we're hoping that parts of the book will be available later this year. We have a massofsor dot net website in construction. Uh, there'll Very be good. links to your wonderful betterworld dot net at some point. Um, sure. it'll be coming out and uh I hope it makes a big impact and also helps, you know,
1: many, many people. Very good. I think it will. It's well written and I want to just thank you again. We're out of time now. I want to just thank you for your wonderful contribution and I'll speak with you soon. You're so welcome. Thanks, Mitchell. Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that as I did. My name is Mitchell J. Rabin. I'm so glad you joined us and please visit us on our website www.abetterworld.tv tv for some more interesting, exciting shows to come in future. So thanks again, and out we go with a touch of Mozart's.